I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verses 28 through 45. I know that's a lot of verses. I know it's a lot of verses. But if we say, if we say Jesus is the reason for the season, we ought to at least read his story. Amen. And not get bored with it or tired by hearing it. I said to someone this morning, it's difficult preaching at this time of the year is because we're oftentimes as preachers and pastors preaching such familiar stories that as soon as you find out the passage and the narrative, our mind, our brain already says, I know that already. But we're going to find out just how much we really know. Luke chapter 1, verses 28 through 45. Do you mind standing with me this morning in reverence to God's word? Not that it's irreverent to sit. But some of y'all hadn't stood for praise and worship all day, all morning. So I thought you might like a seventh inning stretch. Is that all right? And having come in, the angel said to her, to Mary that is, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Somebody say favor. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall be called, or his name shall be called Jesus, and he will be great. Can I reemphasize that? He will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel a question that we might all have in this consideration looking at the context. How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel simply answered and said unto Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. That explains it all, right? (laughs) Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, or the sixth month of her her pregnancy, who is called barren. Somebody say barren. barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. After these words, then Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Notice what Mary did next in verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's 
womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice. She got excited and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which will tell her from the Lord. There will be a fulfillment. There will be a fulfillment of those things which the Lord has spoken. You may be seated. If I could tag this text today with a title. I'd use the title, Greatness Concealed in Weakness. Greatness Concealed in Weakness. Tap your neighbor and say, I hope you have a concealed carry permit. One of my favorite television shows is Undercover Boss. I hope it ain't fake because I would be so disappointed. If you're not familiar with the show, it's a show about CEOs, most of them of Fortune 500 companies. They go undercover, disguise themselves from head to toe as ordinary employees. And they go out on the floor, they go into the restaurant side by side with the fry cook, with the factory worker, with the warehouse forklift driver. And they work alongside of them undercover. And a part of the goal is not just to disguise yourself, to pull off some type of trick, but it is to understand the operation of the company from the inside out, from the bottom to the top, and not just from the top to the bottom. But it's also to work side by side with the employees to hear and feel their concerns. And if you watch the show, oftentimes the conversations move from what's going on with the company to what's going on in the employer's, employees' private life. So much so that generally at the end of the show, the CEOs are moved with such compassion. Being that once undercover now, they reveal themselves as the CEOs to their employer, employee. And they sit down with them after hearing and feeling their pain and concerns. And that's when compassion is distributed. And oftentimes these CEOs will give Scholarships for further education, to buy them cars and houses and pay off medical bills, send them on vacations because they are so tired and weary. But that reminds me of this story in Luke chapter 1, where Jesus, our Savior, is the undercover boss. Concealed himself. In human flesh. 
came and lived among us. Not just to understand the story from the top down, but from the bottom up. The sympathetic high priest. (laughs) And he doesn't just hear our story, but taking upon human flesh, he feels our story. When we consider Luke's narrative in this first chapter of his gospel, this narrative, this storyline is really not about Mary. It's really not about Zacharias. It's not about Elizabeth. It's not about John the Baptist. It's really not even about the miraculous birth of Christ. It's not about Gabriel, the angel, and the message that he brings. No. This writing is about the authenticity of Jesus Christ as God and as man. Luke writes this gospel inspired by the inspiration, the very breath of God. And it is to relay factual information to Theophilus, who is now no doubt a believer, a Christian. But he's a Gentile. And he's standing on the outside looking inside, trying to piece together the story about Jesus the Savior. Theophilus, like all of us from time to time, we need some reassurance. Am I the only one? After all, things didn't look like they ended so well with Jesus. (laughs) He came into the world to save the world, but he was born in poverty. He talked like a rabbi, but his own followers and students, they forsook him. And then he died at the hand of Roman executioners. It didn't look so well. Every now and then, like Theophilus, we all need some reassurance. So Dr. Luke starts off by saying that there are many eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus Christ and the things that he did. And they wrote about those things. But Luke makes this clear in verses 3 and 4 of this first chapter. He said, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know, that you may know certainly of those things in which you were instructed. That you might know the facts about Jesus. And so where does he start? He starts from the very beginning. Not with just his miraculous birth. But he starts with the incarnation of God. When we consider the incarnation of God, we have heard that word and phrase so many times. But I want us to get acquainted or reacquainted with it. Incarnation is from the Latin word, incarnare. It is, first of all, it is prefixed with the word in, meaning to uh, the word itself. Incarnare means to make flesh, but it is prefixed with the word in, which means it has a causative sense. Uh, In other words, it is to call something to be something. And then it has the root of what we call in the Greek the stem, the carnage, the flesh. In other words, there's something on the outside that calls something else to become something in flesh. Did y'all get that? That's the incarnation. God, the Father, he caused his son 
God, the Son, to become fully human. So when we consider the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ, we're stating that although Jesus was divine, he was fully God. He came into this world and took upon human flesh, just like you and I, and he took upon human nature. Jesus was born of a human mother, but without the agency of a human father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Jesus, who is the non-created, second person of the Trinity, took upon a human body, and everything that was human, with the exception of sin, that is what he became And he did not take upon the nature of sin because he was not born of the seed of Adam, but conceived of the spirit. Theologians for ages have have argued two major schools of thoughts regarding the incarnation of God. Some have wrestled with the idea, how could this be? But it is a mystery. It is a God thing. The two schools of thought are platforms that they generally argue from The first is that of kenosis. Kenosis maintains the idea that that God becoming a man had to divest himself or strip himself of his deity in some way or form in order to take upon humanity. So in order to become fully human, he had to become less than God. Kenosis. It is God minus something. God subtracting some qualities of his deity in order to become man. But then there is the second school of thought, and it's the hypostatic union of God. Uh, This is mysterious uh, as, as it is, but it is the divine nature that becomes one with human nature without compromise. Two complete natures, since I can't get you here on Thursday, I thought we'd have Bible study this morning. Is that all right? Two complete natures, one fully human and one fully dietetic or divine. What the doctrine of hypostatic union teaches us is that these two natures united in one person, the God-man, not two separate persons. Jesus is not 50% man and 50% God, and you put the the two of them together, and he becomes the Christ. No, he's 100% man, and he's 100% percent God, hypostatic union. You don't have to listen to the theological jargon and absorb that, but I thought I would just share it with you. But hopefully you will rely on the scriptures, the word of God, the Bible, what God himself has to say about his own son and his incarnation. Matter of fact, John 1 John starts off by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word, Logos, was God. But in verse 14 of John 1, he says, and the Word became flesh. Christ, who existed before creation, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of only begotten of the Father, full of grace. An absolute truth. Paul writes the apostle to the church of Galatia in Galatians 4 and 4. And he describes the incarnation, the God-man in this manner. But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Paul also writes to a troubled church that is going through religious persecution in Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, and gives them this reassurance. Who being born in the form of God, Christ that is, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, a slave, and coming in the likeness of man. <laughs> Theologians down through the years have been trying to under, help us understand in simplistic and elementary ways the nature of the incarnation of Christ. Uh, three simple ways that I know you said, well, he hasn't even dealt with the text yet. I am. Stay with me. Three simple ways to understand the incarnation of God. First of all, there's no confusion. Let us say no confusion. There was no confusion with Christ and in Christ being fully God and fully human at the same time. He clearly understood both roles, being divine and fully human. Secondly, there was no conversion. Christ's divinity wasn't lost or absorbed in his humanity, and his humanity wasn't lost or absorbed in his deity. And so there was no conversion. The one became the other, and the other became the one. And then thirdly, there's no composition. The incarnation didn't produce a new creature, one that never existed before. Now, he's always been God, and then he became man, common man, if you will. And so therefore there's no composition in the new composition in the new, in the, the, uh, the creation or the existence of Jesus Christ. Jesus pre-existed before his birth. I want you to understand that. And he took upon human flesh and fully became man. Now, on the other hand, we only become a person and exist at the point of conception and then our birth into this world. At our conception and our birth, we become fully human with a personality and with a soul and we become living human beings. You and I never existed before we were created. That's that question that that child asked that mother. When the mother is busy and bothered, frustrated on the phone with the electric company trying to work out payment arrangements. And soon as she gets off of home and listening to the home music and uh, the, 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 uh, the customer service representative answers, that's when the child starts pulling on the mother's dress and asks that question. Mama, where was I before I was born? That's when mama gets really frustrated. It says, go ask your daddy. He thinks he know everything anyway. That's the reason why I'm on the phone trying to make payment arrangements with the electric company. Where was I before I was born? You were only a thought of God, included in the plans of God, but you did not exist. Spiritually, soulishly, you did not exist. We did not exist until we were created and conceived in our mother's womb. But Christ, on the other hand, has always existed. He has pre-existed. 
Now, church, I need to let you know before we get to the narrative of this text, this is a great mystery. I ain't going to sit here and try to tell you that I can explain it all. I might sound like I know what I'm talking about, but this is about as much as I know. Now, the reality is we will all be tested on this at the end of this service. So I hope you have taken good notes. It's a great mystery how an infinite God, listen to this, can take upon human flesh. But on the other hand, church, I want to warn you. Try not to, in our uh, finality, take an infinite God and put him under our microscope to try to figure him out. God is not to be viewed from our microscope. He is to be seen telescopically. God is much bigger than we can minimize him to a slide and examine every bit of God. That's what makes him God. <laughs> Last Sunday I was watching a football game and it was amazing but yet simplistic. How the camera zoomed in on this man. You know how they do it, the game dressed up with all the paint on the face and everything else. And it was an open uh, stadium. And then all of a sudden the camera pans out to two or three people. Then he got a whole quadrant, a section of people. Then it took a picture of one side of the entire arena, about 35,000 people. Then that same camera zoomed out even further and you could see the whole arena. Then it zoomed out further and you could see the entire city. That's when I realized this camera ain't in the stadium. This, this picture is taken by satellite from space. We take our pictures inside the stadium. God has a view. <laughs> you can't figure him out. C.S. Lewis said the mystery of humanity of Christ, the mystery of the humanity of Christ is that he sunk himself into our flesh and is beyond all human understanding. When we go back to the text in Luke chapter 1, one of the first things I see is the Annunciation. Since we have laid a groundwork for what this passage is really about and we understand the incarnation of God in Christ Jesus, then Luke moves to the narrative to give us this wonderful and amazing story of the Annunciation of Jesus Christ, the Savior and his birth. Verse 28 says, And having come in, the angel having come into Mary's room, and the angel said to Mary, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. That's good news. And blessed are you among women. Every woman ought to start shouting when you hear that. We oftentimes hear about the magnificence of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Some have even deified Mary. Some have even made Mary co-demptric to the redemption of Jesus Christ. Side by side, just as Christ died for our sins, then Mary, who birthed the Savior, shares in that co-demptory. Yet at the same token, I believe that there's nothing special about Mary. Now, now stay with me because the idea that God says that your favorite says that there's nothing special about Mary. When someone bestows favor on you, it means that it's nothing special about you. Stay with me. But Mary deserves to be respected. She deserves to be honored, but not deified nor glorified. 
Mary is to be humanized in order to gain the significance of God's calling, favor, and grace upon her life. How does a daughter of royalty in the lineage of King David get displaced in a place called Nazareth? <laughs> Uh, uh, live in the city outside of Galilee in a remote corner of the country that has no reputation of religion, no reputation of learning, but is bordered on the heathen uh, uh, borderlines and therefore it is called Galilee, the city of the Gentiles. How does someone of royalty get placed in the hood and chosen to be the son, the mother of God? Mary is believed to be somewhere, if you understand her predicament, between the ages of 13 and 16 years of age when she conceives the child, Jesus Christ. She is on top of that betrothed or engaged, as we would call it, to Joseph. She ain't married yet, but now she's pregnant. The betrothal is in two parts when we understand Jewish betrothal. First of all, there's an agreement that's made, a covenant, between the husband and wife-to-be with two or more witnesses. Then there's the dowry that is given to the father of the bride. You get six chickens, one cow, and a pig on behalf of honoring the father for his daughter. I can't wait to get my six chickens, my pig, and my Cadillac. Escalade. That pork and chicken is fine, but my kids are worth a little bit more than that, bro. So it is a legal binding contract. They are really husband and wife during the betrothal period, but they have not, if you will, formalized their marriage uh, uh, as a result of a ceremony and the first night celebration. The second phase is just that. It's where the actual ceremony takes place in the festivities, which usually took place about a year after the initial betrothal period. Mary is in that stage. She is betrothed. She is engaged under legal binding contract. But she, the marriage has not been consumed yet. Uh, yet God has chosen one of the most unlikely people to be the mother of his son, Jesus Christ. Poor uneducated. She's uh, uh, not sinless as some suggest because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet she is born of the seed of Adam yet remains in the lineage of David. But that's the point. That's the, that's the whole point. God still uses weak and the foolish. <laughs> the angel called her and said to her, blessed are you highly favored. What he was trying to say is, you're blessed because the Lord has bestowed the word favored his grace upon you. In other words, he's saying, you don't meet the qualifications morally, spiritually, to become the mother of the son of God. But God has favored you. Somebody say favor. Favor, <laughs> favor in the vulgar Latin, the common Latin language, it translates into gratia plenia. And it means full of grace. It means grace on top of grace, on top of grace. Extra grace. You haven't just been graced on, but you got layers of grace, Mary, on top of you. Favor. <laughs> How many know you're favored in here? 
the truth of the matter. And this great spiritual principle here when we come to this juncture is we're all recipients of God's grace. We all have been bestowed with God's favor. In other words, there is nothing we have and all that we are is because of the the very favor and grace of God. It's because of his grace and mercy. Uh, Matter of fact, Peter put it this way, that same arrogant Peter that walked with Jesus. When he wrote his epistle in the first the first epistle said it this way in the very first chapter to let the readers know where he has arrived in his wisdom and his thinking. First Peter 1 and 3 he says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy according to his abundant mercy can I say that again according to not our works not our goodness but according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. We are born again, but now to a living hope. Why? Because of his abundant mercy, because of his grace, because of his favor. Uh, that, that's a shouting moment right there. Y'all missed it. I can't even come back to it. M- maybe if I get it, if I say it this way. Let's just say there's a kid from the school that comes knocking on your door. And they have a fundraiser. You know how they do And that child is selling candy bars for one dollar chocolate bars. In the words of Spongebob, I love chocolates. I got an episode stuck in my head. And so you says, yes, I'll take one to help out the school, the fundraiser. You know you ain't trying to help out the school, you just want the chocolate bar. So you give the child the dollar, the child gives you the one chocolate bar in exchange. That ain't grace. That ain't mercy. That ain't favor. That's called an even exchange. The candy bar was a dollar. You gave him a dollar and he gave you a candy bar in exchange. But let's just say the candy bar is a dollar and you give that child a hundred dollars for that one dollar candy bar. That's called favor. Is because the candy bar is only worth one dollar. But you gave the child ninety-nine dollars extra. The child didn't deserve it, didn't do anything for it, the school didn't come by, cut your grass, they didn't wash your car, they didn't clean your house, the teacher didn't even give you a good grade. But you gave them more than what they deserve. That's called favor. And Peter says, listen what Peter says, he's given us abundant mercy. In other words, you were only worth a dollar. I was worth a dollar, but he gave it two dollar, three dollar, four dollar, nine nine, a hundred dollars. Abundantly more because of his mercy. Somebody shout favor. Do we gotta have any grace people in here? Do we have any people that experience God's mercy? Do we have any folk, let's be honest, that know you've been favored by God? Anybody want to be honest and stand up and testify and say that it should have been me? It could have been me. But God did that thing because of his grace and because of his mercy. You need to look down mercy road and find two people that know they received the mercy of God and give them a high five. Somebody shout, I've been favored. 
Just when y'all thought I was done. I thought he was about to throw some money up here. I was about to say, I've seen it on TV. Look, theologically, I'm against it. But practically, I'll take it. I need it. (laughs) Sometimes you bend the rules when they're in your favor. I don't believe I deserve an Escalade, but if you want to buy me one. Somebody say, but ooh, here comes trouble. How many know that those who are favored by God also are feared by God? Whenever God bestows his favor on you, his abundant mercy and grace singles you out for a special purpose and cause. There's always going to be trouble, opposition and confusion. Verses 29 and 30 of Luke chapter one. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. When the angel began to speak to her, she was afraid. Don't think that just because you're favored that you're not human enough to have fear. The plans and purpose of God are so great that if they don't bring about some type of fear, it's probably not the plans of God, but mine and your plans, the plans of man. Somebody say favorite but fearful. You see, the good news is that she's bearing the Son of God. But that ain't exactly good news when you're not, when you're not married, when you're a teenager living in poor conditions and engaged to another man who this is not his baby, a virgin, and you ask the question, how can this be? And the angel's response is, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. And I'm going to give some clarity this and clear it all up. So your fear will be diminished and it will be gone. The Holy Ghost is going to be your baby daddy. That just cleared it up for me. As a matter of fact, it just made it more complicated and makes it even more, me more fearful. Church, listen. Whenever God has favor on your life, there's going to be trouble and opposition. The plans of God, the promises of God, the purpose of God is so big that we cannot comprehend it. That's when you know that it's no doubt of God. So we can learn from Mary's own life, being favored church, receiving God's mercy and grace does not exempt us from confusion. It doesn't exempt us from pain. It doesn't exempt us from suffering. It doesn't exempt us from grief. Have you ever noticed when God's about to do his best work, he lets the bottom fall out of our life and let us get to our worst. And then he steps in with his greatness, greatness concealed in weakness. Rather being uh, favored with God, uh, 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 this is she's she's been favored with God, and she has been united together with the Son of God. But that invites her, that invites us to a lifetime of walking by faith and not by sight. But but notice something. Notice something. Here's what I notice: Zacharias, Reverend Zach, the father, the husband of Elizabeth. 
the father of John the Baptist. The same angel Gabriel came into his house, brought news to him that Elizabeth, his wife, was expecting. Matter of fact, in verse 12, it says, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell on him. Y'all got that? When Zacharias saw the messenger, he became fearful. But when Mary heard the message, she became fearful. I'm going to say that again. Y'all didn't catch that. We're right over your head. Zacharias was troubled and fearful because he saw the messenger when he saw him. But Mary became troubled at the message itself. Uh, Let me say it another way. Zacharias became fearful in the context in which the message was given. But Mary was troubled with the content that she heard. (laughs) Sometimes church, the word of God can be preached to you. The same message goes to everybody. But some folk get fearful of what they hear because of where they are in life. The context. Some folk are in a good place, but they are fearful or overwhelmed because of the message itself. Context and content. I don't know if you know, but greatness lives inside of even you. Can we, can we shift for a moment? In verses 31, 32, the angel says to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb, bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. He is great. And will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will, inside of you, Mary, weak Mary, poor Mary, young Mary, displaced Mary inside of you a Mary that has nothing to offer me on her own inside of you is greatness the the, the thing about it is it's not Mary herself but it's who's inside of Mary who's conceived inside the womb that makes Mary great and his name shall be called Jesus and he will be great. I got great news for every born again believer. How many born again believers we got in here? Let me declare something to you this morning. I've always wanted to say, let me declare something to you. Prophetically. You are pregnant with God's greatness. Can I say that again? Some of y'all got nervous. I can see y'all sisters out there now. Y'all said, how can this be? Since my husband goes to sleep every night, you are pregnant (laughs) with greatness. Greatness is conceived in the spiritual womb of every born again believer. You you ain't got to believe me. I don't even want you to believe me. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, the second part of the verse. He says this, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? Do you not know that Jesus Christ has taken his residence and he abides in you? If you and me and I in you, then you can ask what you will. Do you know that greatness inside of you? John wrote in his first letter in 1 John 4 and 4 and says, you are of God, little children, have overcome them. Here's the reason why you have overcome them. You have overcome the world because he who is in you is greater than. 
I didn't make this up. I didn't write. He who is in you is greater than, is greater than, is greater than he who is in the world. Just as Mary was favored by God, mercy and grace on top of mercy and grace, and, and greatness was bestowed in the womb of Mary physically, greatness Christ has been stowed, bestowed in your womb, listen, listen, in your spiritual womb. Listen, Jesus is not only great, and greatness living in your womb, but he's bringing some great stuff with him. He's bringing great ministry for your life. Great purpose for your life. Great plans for your life. His greatness is so great that you can't even imagine just how great it really is. But you got to believe and trust him by faith regardless of what the circumstances might look like. But there's a transition here. There's, there's a transition. Somebody says transition. There's a shift in the atmosphere. <laughs> there's a shift in the dynamics of this text. Now the angel... Before Mary departs, and Mary, uh, excuse me, before the angel of the Lord departs, he tells Mary, not only are you pregnant, but your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. And she ain't just pregnant, she's six months pregnant. And I can imagine going, Elizabeth, you're talking about Elizabeth Jones? My old cousin Elizabeth on my daddy's side is she six months. She she didn't just hasn't just conceived. This is not just prophetically. She will conceive and have a child. She is six months. You showing you out there six months. She is and I'm going somewhere with it. Stay with me. The text says Luke says that she has the angel of the Lord says she has conceived. He bring this out on purpose. In her old age. Stay with me. She has conceived. Consider the age of Mary. And why he's telling her this. Y'all getting y'all connecting that. She has conceived in her old age. And not only that. But even in her youth. She was barren. I'm going to say it again. By God's grace. She has conceived. In her old age. Beyond the years of possibility. And she is barren. So the reason why he says it is if she can conceive and is six months pregnant beyond possibility. Mary, I want you to know this about her because you got possibility. Don't tell me what God can't do. Let, let, let me prove my point. Let me, let me prove my point. You see, see, let me, let me say this another way. Another way. Has it ever occurred to you when God's going to do something in great in your life and out of your life? Listen to me carefully. It won't just be you that he's going to do it through. I don't know why we think we're the only one God going to use. We stand in the pulpit to preach thing. We're the only one can preach. We grab a microphone and, and hit a note and then everybody stand up. You think you're the only one can sing. You ain't the only greeter usher with a smile. Whenever God is going to do something great in your life, he's also going to do something great in the people, people's lives that are next to you. 
Now, now, now let me say this. I can see we got some haters. I ain't. Point, I shouldn't point, but y'all ain't responding in the back. Let me say it another way. When Christ is in you, and when God sows his plans and purpose in you, you will never reach full maturity in your pregnancy if you can't find someone else who is pregnant along with you. Did you get that, Simon? Let, 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 me, let me prove my point, because y'all ain't going to go home and say that I don't lie. I was lying in church. What did Mary do? Look at verses 39 and 40 at the annunciation that she would conceive greatness, Christ, God inside of a womb. What, what did she do? What did, what did she do? Verse 39 and 40. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. She, she's conceived. But when it says in those days, he's given a timeline. Probably a day or two within three days after she gets this announcement. And she enters the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. Hey girl. That the babe, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. Later it says she, he leaped for joy. And Elizabeth, uh, Luke, Luke would have us to know. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. But notice, but notice, but notice, but notice. The angel of the Lord did not tell Mary to go to Elizabeth's house. Y'all ain't going to get this, I can tell. He didn't tell her to go to Elizabeth's house. He only told her that old Elizabeth, your cousin, the one who is barren, is six months pregnant by the Lord. Let me say that again. He did not instruct her the next thing you need to do is get up and go to Elizabeth's house and see this for yourself. No, Mary decided to go there for herself. But why, church? Somebody say why. I'm glad you asked. First of all, listen carefully. Mary needed to see that if God can use somebody who is barren... Certainly he can use somebody who's fertile. <laughs> Did y'all get that? But with God, all things are possible. Sometimes you have to see things for yourself and see people who are worse off than you are in order to believe in the promises of God. I stayed up half the night for this. Y'all better, y'all better get this now. The second reason why she needed to get up on her own and go and see Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant, is because Mary needed to see somebody who's in her same condition, but who was much further along in their journey. <laughs> in other words, Mary had received the promise, but she was struggling with the process. Elizabeth has not only received the promise, but she's made it through the process. Mary needed somebody who was more mature to help feed her faith. <laughs> you see, you see, Mary and Elizabeth, they're similar, but they're also different. 
Elizabeth, she's old past the years of having children. She's bearing. But Mary is young, yet a virgin. One is pregnant with the God child. The other is pregnant with a child of God. <laughs> One has the God man inside of her. The other has the man of God inside of her. One is married in a successful relationship with a preacher. The other one is single and caught in a scandal. They both need each other. Similar but different circumstances. When we're faced with impossibilities, you got to find someone that knows God and through God it is possible. <laughs> There's a third reason. There's a third reason why Mary need to get up. Ain't nobody to tell her to go see Elizabeth, who's been pregnant for six months by the working of the Lord. Hold on, Doc. Because Mary needed to find someone who is impregnated by the same word of God. But somebody who would rejoice with her because of the word of God. <laughs> the text says that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the baby John the Baptist, <laughs> he got to shouting in the womb. <laughs> but it wasn't just John the Baptist. You can see in the context that Elizabeth is says that a voice started to rise. She got excited. Listen to this. Because her little cousin came in pregnant regardless of the circumstances. But listen to me carefully. You're going to have some haters. Everybody ain't going to like it that you're pregnant. Here's the reason why. They ain't going to like your pregnancy because they're not pregnant. But Mary... My Elizabeth, y'all can sit down, could rejoice and celebrate with Mary. Here's the reason why. They received the same word. But here's the key. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Tap your neighbor and say, you need to find at least two Holy Ghost filled friends. Some of y'all need to change your friend status. You need to change your friend status. It's getting quiet in certain sections because you're thinking about who your friends are. You, you need to change your friend status because some of y'all hang around people who are doing nothing but bringing you down. That's all they want to do, listen to me carefully, is abort the plans and purpose of God in your life, in your room. See, everybody's your friend when you're on the same level with them. But get pregnant and watch people get jealous. See, everybody your friend, as long as you don't have more than them. Everybody your friend, as long as you don't go farther than them. Everybody's your friend, as long as you don't do more than them. And they're your friends, as long as you don't become more than them. You need people in your life who are pregnant with the same word to encourage you to go to Bible study, not stay at home. 
encourage you and challenge you to pray, to serve the Lord and others, to be disciplined, to be kind, to be gracious, to be loving, to be spiritual, and to be intentional. You need to be around somebody who's going to stir up the gift inside of you. (laughs) Somebody who's going to challenge your faith but still have your back. The fourth reason why Mary need to go up. I ain't, I'm almost done. The fourth reason why Mary need to get up and go to Elizabeth's house is because she needed somebody to celebrate with her. Somebody Holy Ghost feel to celebrate with her. Now, now, now here's what I mean. You never going to reach your full potential. Not unless you got people who is going to encourage and celebrate with you. But here's what you got to do. You got to celebrate and encourage them as well. Amen. <laughs> we always want somebody to support us. But Mary went not only so that she could hear from Elizabeth, but she went to encourage Elizabeth. Now, let me say this. I don't know if y'all know, but there's an attractiveness with pregnancy. Did y'all know that? No, that got quiet. (laughs) Scientifically, I I just read this this week. Scientifically, there is an attractiveness with pregnant women. People will look at an expecting mother. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Let me break it down for you. That girl ain't got to be showing, but she can walk into a room. And people will make this comment. Girl, there's something about you. You glowing. That's when your mama pull you aside and say, you pregnant? And auntie say, you pregnant, ain't you? I know that look. I know, I know that glow. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There's something. You don't have to make the announcement. But girl, you got that glow about you. Even young children love to be around pregnant Mothers, have you noticed that? Whether it's your child or other children, but especially your child. That child, listen, using the ornate corner, playing on the trucks and cars, but let that mother get pregnant. And that child be grabbing onto the ankle. Everywhere mama go, that child is right there. When the mother starts showing, want to rub the belly. There's something that is attractive about being pregnant. Not only that, but science says that most men are attracted to pregnant women. That's what science says. That's what science said. I ain't making that up. Now, my wife was definitely attracted when she was pregnant to me. She was definitely attracted. But then we got to ask ourselves the question. How can men be attracted to pregnant women? Swollen ankles. (laughs) Nose spread all across your face. Belly going in one direction and you're behind headed in a different direction. <laughs> Bent over. Sweating one minute. <laughs> Cold chills the next. Can't sleep at night. How can men be attracted to pregnant women? How can children be attracted to pregnant What is the attraction that everybody can tell that you're pregnant even before you're showing and it's announced? Scientists say they don't know exactly how, but it ain't the mother. It's the living being inside the mother that now makes her. She's the same girl. 
the same woman, but it's the, the child, the living being inside of the mother that makes the mother attractive. Let me tell you, the attractiveness ain't us. It's the Christ in us, the light of the world. When pregnant women walk in the room, it lights the room up. When people are pregnant with the greatness of Christ, the room leaps for joy. Y'all don't hear what I said. When Christ is pregnant inside of you. Now you got to understand what the word pregnant means. We understand the first half, half of pregnancy and Webster defines it in this way. Containing a developing embryo fetus or unborn offspring within the body. But here's the second part of the definition that Webster gives for pregnancy. Notice what he says. Uh, rich in significance, implication, and worth. Rich in significance, implication, and worth. When Christ is inside of you, your value just shot through the roof. <laughs> but let's just take note. Take, take note of this. Then she spoke, Elizabeth, with a loud voice. And she said to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now here's what I want you to see. First of all, Mary didn't tell Elizabeth that she's pregnant. Mary ain't even showing but when she walks in the house, Elizabeth already knows she can see the glow. There's an, y'all gonna catch this in a, in a minute. You ain't gotta tell everybody you're a Christian. They ought to be able to see Christ's greatness in your life. They ought to know that you're pregnant. But, but not only this, but listen to this. Elizabeth said the same words I just heard somewhere else. This is what she said. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That is the same message that the angel of the Lord, God, spoke to Mary. And Elizabeth never heard it. Here's what I want to tell you. Is that the word will always come before confirmation. But the way that you know that it is the word and the voice of the Lord, it will always be confirmed. You hear it on Sunday, but it's confirmed next Friday. <laughs> you ain't got to tell everybody what God's doing in your life, the plans and purpose of your life. Just, why don't you do this? Just test the word of God. Test the greatness of God. Don't say a word and people can say, listen, there's something about you. I've come to you time and time again when I'm going through something. You got this spirit about you. I can sit down and talk to you, tell you my problem, and you always have a word of encouragement. I know I got to end this. But take note, and I got to get out of here. Greatness always supports greatness. <laughs> because Martha, I mean, Elizabeth asked Mary this question. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? If you got God in your womb, why are you coming to my house to greet and encourage me? Y'all got to get this. The angel of the Lord had already, you got to notice, had already stated to Zacharias that the baby inside 
of Elizabeth's womb will be great. That's verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. But this is John the Baptist. Here's what Elizabeth knows. Elizabeth knows that the child in her womb is great. But the child in her cousin's womb is greater. I'm going to say that again. Elizabeth knows that the child in her womb, John the Baptist, he's a bad boy. But the child in her womb is greater. Elizabeth knows, listen to this, that she conceived before Mary. But she also know, knows that the child in Mary's womb came before her child. Yeah, that's, that's, y'all. I know I need to sit down, but I can't. I just can't. I can't. Elizabeth knows that the child in her womb, John the Baptist, is the forerunner to pave the way for Jesus Christ. And listen, and that John exists because of Jesus in Mary's womb. Elizabeth knows that when the child in her womb has finished his purpose down here on earth, his time is up. But she also knows the child in Mary's womb, his kingdom will never have an end. So Liz says to cut Mary, girl, why did you come over here? I feel so honored that you having the greater child will come visit with me that has a great but the lesser child. In other words, now, now listen, you're going to have to put your grown, grown uh, man and woman pants on right now. Because if you can't handle what I'm about to say, I'm going to give you an exit, all right? I'm going to give you five seconds to leave. One, two, three, four, five. It's going to sound profane to the vein. If you think that you're great all by yourself, you ain't great. You're conceited, you're arrogant, and you're prideful. Greatness confirms greatness. When somebody else is great or even greater and you are the lesser, you ought to encourage them in their greater. And when somebody is greater to the lesser, you ought to encourage and affirm. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. Because your greatness doesn't exist without somebody else's greatness. Your grace cannot flourish without somebody else's greatness. And your greatness will never be great without working with somebody else who's got greatness on the inside. Paul said, can I say to the ear, I don't need you, and the hand to the foot, I don't need you. We all need one another. Folks, I realize this every single day. Somebody paved the way for me that I could be here, that I could stand here. I get better along the way because people are pouring into my life. I get stronger because somebody else is bearing my birth. I'm done. Let's go home. Let's go home. Let's get your stuff. Let's go. Let's go. It's, it's a wrap. Let's go. You, you got enough. But I need to ask you before I leave, who is this greatness? Who is this greatness we're talking about? It ain't me. It certainly is not you. It ain't Mary. It ain't Elizabeth. It's God who came in human flesh, born of a woman, favored by his great grace. He was fully God and fully man. He was man enough to subject himself to the law, but God enough to give and adhere to the law. 
he was man enough to go hungry in the wilderness for 40 days. But he was God enough to feed 5,000 with a few fish and loaves of bread. He was man enough to cry at our brother's funeral. But he was God enough to raise him from the dead. He was man enough to be arrested at the hands of man, beaten and ridiculed. But he was God enough to be raised from the grave. He was man enough to be the sympathetic high priest. But he's God enough to wipe away all your tears. He's man enough to say that no man knows the day nor the hour. But he's God enough to say, I'm coming back again. He's man enough to suffer at the hands of sinful man. But he's God enough to save that same man from his sins. I got to ask you a church question, question, church. Is Jesus man enough? But is he also God enough? Man enough, but God enough. Father, into your hands we commit our life, we commit our spirit, we commit Christ the greatness inside of us. We even commit those who may not know Christ this morning. Submit them to you that they might open up their hearts by the urging of your spirit and grace that they might receive Christ and the pardon of their sins. Be not only forgiven, but Christ living inside of them. I pray today that we leave this place, O Father, filled with your Holy Spirit, filled with your love, your kindness, your grace, your mercy, filled with truth, filled, Lord, with enough man about us, humanity, Oh God, that we can admit when we're wrong, that we can humble ourselves in pride, that we could submit ourselves to those who are lesser than us, but enough God inside of us that we rise up and realize that we have victory through Christ Jesus, that no matter what comes and who comes against us, we can stand more than conquerors. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life that we might have life. Now let us go take this life to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Y'all better hurry and get out of here. God bless you. Have a blessed week. Let's see you Thursday. Don't forget your offering going out the door. God bless you. Have a blessed week. Amen.